Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thesis number one. Churches should be safe places. Right? This is a, a safe place, a sanctuary, a place aside for holy things and holy people. It should be a place of safety. At the very least, you should not leave today more wounded than you were when you arrived. And yet, tragically, we know that far too often in its history, the church has not been a safe place. Years, men have preached women into subservience and second-class citizenship through twisting the scriptures and dimming our understanding of their image of God. For 2,000 years, people who love differently or embody gender differently in the world have been told that they are an aberration, an abomination, and to be left out of the kingdom, to be pushed aside, driven to despair, or at the very least, not coming back. Many people of many ages, but especially children, in a place that is supposed to be safe, with people who are supposed to be trustworthy, have been abused, particularly by people wearing robes and collars, and the church as an institution has turned a blind eye. And yes, far too often, The culture of violence in which we are baptized seven days a week overflows into our safe sanctuaries and spills blood on the pews. And it's so sad because church is supposed to be a safe place. Thesis number two. Worship should be beautiful. Worship should be transcendent. Worship in our prayer and in our scripture and in our songs, especially our songs, should lift us up into the angelic realms where we get to dine with the saints and our ancestors, feast on God's grace, see God's glory come down to be among us, to fill us with hope and life. Worship should be beautiful. Not perfect or or polished, perhaps, Last week, the children got to ring the bells as we remembered all those who had gone before us. It wasn't perfect, but it was beautiful. Worship should be beautiful as an opportunity to glimpse the grace and glory of God. Thesis number three. There is a distinct difference between safety and comfort. Church should be a safe place, a place where wounded people are not wounded even more. And at the same time, church is a place where we talk about stuff, where we talk about the woundedness of the world. And that can be uncomfortable, and in fact, ought to be at times. The world is a scary, dangerous, broken place, and it comes with us into this place, whether we like it or not, and we've got to talk about it. And that can be uncomfortable. 
It's a quote often attributed to the great Dorothy Day, but the gospel exists to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. It ought to stir something in our guts, make us feel something, challenge us. That's what confession is about, friends. That's what prophecy is about. We are asked at times to be uncomfortable with the way the world is and our place in it. It makes me uncomfortable to know that every time I blink my eyes, a child dies of hunger and I have plenty to eat. It makes me uncomfortable to know that every night I sleep on a soft bed in a heated and safe home in a wonderful community when all around the world children and their families are fleeing war zones and famine, living packed into refugee camps, longing for a place to call new home a fresh start. And far too many countries would turn them away. It makes me uncomfortable Uncomfortable to know that I live in a world in which men like me often diminish the lives, the selfhood, the dignity of other women and girls. It makes me uncomfortable. I happen, by the way, to like Louis C.K. I mean, I think he's an interesting artist, a good one. He's a little foul and vulgar. If that's not your thing, I wouldn't listen. But he's funny. I happen to like some of the movies that Harvey Weinstein has produced. Turns out, they're both horrible men. And it is a lot easier to talk about how horrible they are than it is for me to look in the mirror and see the ways in which I participate in building a culture that values men and their agency over that of women, a culture in which my son will be granted power and privilege that my daughter just won't be. That makes me uncomfortable. And it should. Because the world is a wounded place. And we gather in this place to hear the world's cries together with God and to work with God to bring healing and wholeness. Which brings me to thesis number four. Worship should be beautiful, transcendent even. But it cannot ever be escape. We don't gather here week after week for an hour or so to plug our fingers in our ears and sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, and pretend that the world is just fine. To leave all that stuff out there and just feel good about ourselves for a while. That's not why we're here. And it apparently doesn't make God all that happy if that's the posture we bring to our praise. Amos tells us, God says, I hate, I despise your festivals and your worship. I hate the sound of your songs. It's pretty harsh, right? I mean, when I was a kid, I had a camp counselor once tell me that God can't hate because God is love. Apparently that person never talked to Amos. God hates the sound of your worship. If our worship simply means an hour or so where we can forget about a suffering world. Worship ought to mean something. 
Worship ought to shape us as agents of mercy, justice, and peace in the world, or else what's the point? I think it makes God angry that we would gather week after week after week at a table at which all are welcome and all are fed and then leave and by our actions imply that we're perfectly happy living in a world where children die of hunger and strangers are turned away. I think it makes God angry that we sing In peace, let us pray to the Lord and for the peace of the whole world. And we talk about peace and we share the peace. And then we leave. And by our actions imply that we're perfectly happy living in a world that is in love with violence. That loves our violence more than our children. I think it makes God angry when we gather to sing about God's love for us and then leave and hate our neighbors or refuse to pray for our enemies. And here's the thing. It's actually really good news that God hates injustice. It's really good news that God is angry when people suffer. It's good news because it means God's paying attention. That God sees your woundedness and the woundedness of this world. And that it breaks God's heart. When other kids are mean to my kids on the playground, I get all kinds of mama bear, right? It makes me angry. That's how God feels about you. God is angry when people mistreat one another because God placed God's own image on your skin. God is angry about the crushing load of debt that makes it hard for some of you to pay your bills at the end of each month. God might also have some interesting questions about the choices that led to that. I know God would have some interesting questions about my budget. But God hates debt because debt is slavery and God is really, really opposed to slavery, like a lot. It makes God angry when anyone, by their actions or their implications or the rate of pay or any other means, make you feel like less of a person, less valued as a human being Less a person with agency and power of your own because of your gender or your age or your body shape or your disability. God hates that. It makes God angry when people hurt you because God loves you. And that's what love looks like. And so, of course, it makes God angry when children die of hunger while others are well-fed. It makes God angry to hear our prayers for peace and to watch us beat each other to death. It makes God angry when we would embrace those close to us 
and leave strangers at the gate. Because God's love and God's noticing and God's care for their woundedness is just as abundant as it is for us. And that's what worship is for. That's why we're here. To connect to that love. That love that overflows and pours out into a wounded world that we might all be made whole. And that's what Brother Blake will be washed into in just a few minutes. We will make promises on his behalf, because he's adorable, but he can't talk so hot. And we will promise to strive for justice and peace in all the world, alongside and for him. And when he gets older, he'll grow into that work himself. Because God loves him, and God loves the whole world, and longs for its wounds to be healed. And it is in that water, which is right there at the entrance, any time we gather, it's in that water that we glimpse the streams of living justice that God has promised to pour out on all this thirsty world. It's there that we dip our toes and splash our foreheads in that promise of an ever-flowing stream of righteousness, peace, mercy, and justice that God has promised to abundantly provide for all the world that God so loves. We glimpse it. We touch it. And then we go back out into a dry and dusty and desperately hungry world. And we look for those signs and we join hands and forces and we strive for justice And we say no to violence, and we love peace, and we welcome the stranger. And eventually, eventually with God behind us, within us, and around us, doing this hard but holy work together, we will come to that river, to that flowing fountain, to that ever-flowing stream. And with all the saints, we will say, thanks be to God. Amen.